Welcome to series two of Depollution from Salvage Wire. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this episode, we welcome Jen Wilson of Gensi Consulting. Jen has a long history of supporting the vehicle recycling industry and has a lot to teach on yard management systems and business leadership. We also talk cyber security amongst lots of other things. Let's get to our conversation with Jen. So Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. A bit of an introduction, please, about yourself, your career, and your current role in company, please. All right. So let's see. Uh, my name is Jen Jensie Wilson, as you've already said. Uh, and so my role is I am the managing member of Jensie Consulting. We started in 2006. Prior to that, I had worked for Actual Systems of America, who had been the makers of Pinnacle, which is now owned by CCC Information Services. Um, prior to that, I did a little bit of everything, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I have a my undergrad comes from Rochester Institute of Technology, Rochester RIT and Rochester, New York. Um, I have uh, which is in uh, communications and graphic arts, but I worked in computer services the entire time I was there. Um, and I did payroll for computer services. So I did payroll and accounting for 250 plus students um, for several years. Um, so did a little bit of that, and then um, I worked for an engineering firm and some other jobs here and there that just kind of kept adding on to what I was already doing. Um, let's see, besides that, um, have always done tech support and um, computer-ish things for oh my goodness, uh, 25 plus years. So whether it be tech support, tech support, computer IT-ish, um, it's been 25 plus years. Um, when I was in um, high school, early college, I worked for a small local newspaper where we had our editor in Arizona because they were doing their master's at the time. And I was in New Jersey and we would pack up all of our files and send them via a modem connection to Arizona for it to get edited and then to come back for me to print and do the final review. So um, we, it, it was one of those things where we made jokes at the time that we were doing things that the New York Times wasn't doing and all these large papers that were Gannett run and all that stuff. And we're this little mom and pop newspaper using technology at the time to its fullest to try and make things happen. So um, I've always been very much uh, computer geared tech uh, software and then helping users get the most out of that. So with Gensi Consulting, part of why my business came about was because I was getting a little burnt out at actual systems. You know, the people there are great, but I was doing a lot of stuff. I was doing uh, tech support. I was doing the hardware installations. I was doing data conversions. I was doing training and I was just getting a bit burnt and uh, subsequently left. And I also felt that there was a need in our industry that there's not enough opportunities during the course of the year to get help with your YMS. Um, you know, it's great that you can call tech support for the major systems and that they're there and that they do offer support services. But sometimes you need that one-on-one to maximize your experience, your exposure. And talking with your friends um, and people about different processes that work for them and different, uh, different ways of doing things that can be helpful, but sometimes even after you've had that conversation, you're still at a loss for, well, where do I begin to implement that? Where do I start with that? And so that's what we do. We try and get people to get more out of their YMSs. We do a lot of training. We do a lot of consulting and follow up with how to get more out of a YMS. More often than not, because of how detailed the YMSs are, people use a fraction of them. You know, I remember I was at a uh, speaker, I think at URG one year, and they were like, we maybe use 30% of this thing. We don't know what we're doing. And, you know, 
you got to think that they got installed and then people just disappear. And sometimes you don't even know what to ask, excuse me, when you call in for a question and when you're both speaking a different language or the verbiage is different, where it means one thing to you and a different to the tech person, you're just crossing paths and it becomes frustrating. Um, when you talk with your peers, you tend to be a bit more on the same level in terms of that linguistics um, and what you're asking to do or what your problem is. But then sometimes they don't even know how to explain to you their own solution. So we do a really good job of trying to break things down and make them, um, to make them consumable. <laughs> make them consumable in a fashion that makes sense to, to, to the rest of us in the world. Yeah. Now, now, yard management systems, I mean, they've changed immensely over the last sort of 10 to 20 years. But yeah. I was quite surprised when you said 30%, they're only using 30% of its capability. What are they missing out on? So that's a great question. So part of what happens is that more often than not, uh, people will get installed. And, and, I, and I use this as a more blanket term because some YMS uh, installers and, and trainers do try and get people to use more of the system than not. But what I have found over time is that the YMSs want to get you in the door. They get you in the door. They get you started as an end user. And then subsequently, you're kind of left to your own devices. You're kind of mulling around. You know, all training, no matter who does it or how it's done, is that fodder, that baseline of what you have. You know, I've been using an analogy lately when I train where if you had never been in a car, you never saw a car, never saw it on TV, cartoon, movie, or anything, and someone handed you a car key and here's a car, and they were like, here you go you have no idea. Like you would just be like, what are you doing? What, what is this? Um, and I think that that's kind of like the YMSs in a way, you know, if you've never used a yard management system, like I think of all the new hires that we train, when you have never used a yard management system, you don't realize how robust it is, how much it covers, you know, Savage Yards do a little bit of everything. And we take for granted how much occurs in our businesses. You know, there's logistics, there's sales, there's inventory, there's buying, there's pricing, there's accounting, and it's all in there. And it's basically having a point of sale system, which is your YMS that manages that, but it's not the same as a point of sale system at a grocery store where it's all preloaded, preset. You know, all of our products are unique because they're predominantly used widgets that all have their unique characteristics and unique pricing levels that go along with them. And then depending who our clientele is, you know, if you go to the grocery store, what I pay and what you pay is the same because it's the grocery store, unless they're running a flyer. So it's, it's different that way. And so when people get installed, sometimes their biggest frustrations is trying to do what they did yesterday. And it's not what they can do today. Mm -hmm. uh, their second piece is that there's so much coming at them that they try and get it going, but it's more or less getting a baseline where they know that they've got stock coming in. They know they've got invoices going out, which in turn means money coming in. But all that little nuance that happens between those stages is usually where we lose out. Um, and I say that um, in the nicest way possible, because I think that there's a lot of yards that do their very best. And I think that there's a lot of people that try and take as much as they can out of their system. We usually get calls where people are like, hey, my buddy uses this and I'm not using that part. Um, and because I'm not using that part, I have no idea what to do. I try calling them. I don't understand what they're saying. Can you tell me what I'm missing, how I roll this in, and how I get my staff to be on board with these changes? And so more often than not, we're, we're trying to give guidance to the management team. We're trying to implement the process, and we're trying to streamline things to be efficient where it works for them and that it's going to be something that we can stick with. Um, you know, I think everybody realizes that the inmates from the asylum, it doesn't really matter what the warrant, warden wants to do. Um, but generally speaking, the warden's still in charge, right? The inmates are there, and in theory, they, they, they are our team. And if we treat our team like family and our partners in this adventure, then we tend to have more 
openness for change and to get more out of the system that we have, whether it be Hollander, Checkmate, mm. uh, Pinnacle, Arms, mm. Eden, any of them. Mm. So we need to be mindful that if our team has buy-in, then everyone's more inclined to help make it happen. Yeah. So have you, could you give us one example where you've gone into a company, you've done some training and they've immediately benefited financially or efficiency or something like that from, from the training that you've given? Yeah, so I had a yard. So the work order manager and Pinnacle Professional has evolved over the years. So from where it started, which was way simple. There was like next to no information and it was just here's the orders and a couple of buttons. And then over time, it kind of evolved where you could do what's considered department mappings, where you could break down the orders upon saving um, and build in processes for people to be able to manage and process well um, with that. And one of my yards, um, which was out in Australia, not that we haven't had the same result here in the U.S., but more often than not, when we would help yards implement the yard manage the the yard management systems work order manager um, to help manage the orders, there was a significant increase in number of parts being processed, number of orders being pulled, and then subsequently the revenue for turning things around. Um, for a few years, my one yard, every time I saw them at a conference was like, you did this, you did this you did this. This is awesome. You did this. And, you know, he makes me laugh anyway, but I just thought it was the sweetest thing because they had maximized so much of their system prior and then rolling in those processes and getting the team to understand the flow and actually doing it and then to, to let them continue on that path. They, they just saw revenue increases, productivity increases. It was just a very very big leap for them that they had to catch up in terms of buying more product to fulfill the need because they didn't expect such a leap in production. I think of that the same thing that happens when most yards join um, a runner group. Um, so the different there's several runner groups that exist in the industry, especially here in the U.S. Mm. Um, and for those that don't know, a runner group is a group of yards that trade parts on a transportation network. Um, and when you have not been a part of that and you just traded locally, when you become part of the group, you're opening up your stock to the entire group. And you're also opening up for them to prioritize you as a partner. Um, and more often than not, there's a significant increase percentage-wise in sales that goes along with the potential fees that you pay for being a part of the runner group. Um, I can say, again, from experience, that if people do not see a leap in sales in the runner group, that something's amiss. Because more often than not, you should see a vast difference. So whether it's implementing something like the work order manager, joining a runner group, um, getting more out of your system, uh, there should be monetary rewards from that um, because you're building in efficiencies hands down. And if you're not seeing that, then you should easily raise the question, well, why don't we? You know, it, it turn the mirror on yourself and say, hey, you know, we know that X has benefited across the board all these people. Why is it not benefiting us? What is happening with our stock, our products, our processes that hinders us from benefiting from these, these, these tools and um, resources that we didn't have before, but today we do? So in effect, what, what you're saying very much around is that as well as training people on how to run and, and operate the yard management system, actually, you're doing a lot more leadership and management training uh, alongside that because because you have to 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 bring to bring the owners the managers the leaders on board to actually realize some of the benefits that, that these that these systems bring yeah we do um, we find that uh, depending on the the management structure of a yard um, a lot of times we'll get uh, let's say the owner of the facility and their top tier management and we'll work with them on trying to implement the processes um, sometimes if I'm in person and we're doing some of these process improvements in person then we will have the discussion as a management team mm -hmm. talk about who needs to be a part of that and then we'll actually go to the different people and 
tell them how this is going to be coming their way. Tell them how this is going to be impacting them. Tell them how they're going to use this. If it's something where we flip the switch on something and they're using it while we are there, not just future coming. Um, we try and make sure everybody is on the same page. We try and address any problems as it's happening. Um, and the same thing even when we're remote. You know, I have a current client that I've been working with um, for a while where we are always tweaking some of the processes because they, they will get going on the process and it'll go really good. But when someone goes away on holiday or something changes, all of a sudden people like to rely back on what they used to know. And that's typically where people get burned is they go back to what they used to know, which is not bad. Okay. We have to keep in mind that that fodder, that information that we know led us to the positions that we're in today, right? So let's say you were on the sales counter or you had been a picker out in the yard and you moved into sales and then you moved into management. You move through that progress because you have a lot of good insight and information in your head. But sometimes the processes being implemented buck what you used to know because they don't, they don't mesh the same way. Um, and so sometimes you have to change your perspective about it. You have to change how you approach it, you know, square, square hole, you know, square, square peg, round hole, doesn't always mesh. So, but it's still good. It's still valuable. But sometimes we need to check what we used to know and be open to what it is going to do. What, what is it going to want us to do? What will it allow us to do? And then to be able to say, okay, great. We tried it the way it wants to work. It's working, but it could be better. So now we take what we know for this new process. We take the past history. We take our personalities of our team. And then we say, okay, great. This is working, but how can it be better now? And that's where the past experience, the new experience, and realizing what your team brings to the table can be uh, morphed into something better than that. And so we do, we do try and add in a bit of management training process training into what we do. Um, we like to definitely give examples in terms of trying to get the light bulb to come on for people to go, ah, oh, I get it. <laughs> so, so anybody who's looking at their yard management system now and looking at what they do and looking at, uh, at the system they've got, what's the best piece of advice that you would give them on how to how to get more out of it? Oh, that is uh, a well, that's kind of a loaded question. Usually, if people are unknown, like let's say they they think everything's fine, I got money in the bank, I'm profitable, and I'm content. All right, then the first thing I would do is go to my staff, and I would say, listen. Uh, Talk to your staff about what they think hinders their processes, right? Is it a paperwork thing? Is it a system thing? Is it a personnel thing? And then I would take that information and I would turn around and look at your YMAS and I would look at reports that complement their complaints or their objections to what is lacking. Um, because more often than not, the data in your YMS, provided your YMS has uh, you know, some robust reporting or access to data that can cause robust reporting, um, where you can then take the comments and concerns of your staff or even the positives of your staff and say, okay, great, does all that match my KPIs? Does that match my reporting in my system? And if it does, fine. If it turns out that I see hindrances or hiccups where we perceive one thing but our actions tell another, then the reports should show that. So like, let's say I have a salesperson that says, oh yeah, I totally listen to recommendations. I totally go in and price what you say that I should be pricing in it. And then it turns out that they're discounting every part by 15% just to get the deal done. Well, your data should of course tell you that. And then you're wondering, well, what is it that this salesperson is doing that he always has to discount 15%, but the rest of the team is around 6% or less, right? Like what is the difference? Mm -hmm. Is it, excuse me, is it their sales technique? Is it their, their skills on the telephone? Is it the way that they're using the system? Is it that they don't know how to use the system well, where maybe they made quotes for the customer, forgot that they made a quote, didn't know how to look it up, didn't know how to find it, and just went straight to looking up a part, wrote it up fresh, and then all the work they did in the past was for naught. So then their metrics in terms of conversion ratios and how well they did are distorted. Um, and not only are they distorted, but then you're wondering, 
what happened to all these people you talked to that never got follow-up? And like, oh, yeah, I did talk to that person. That order is this one right here. Why aren't they together? So it's things of that nature that I think um, play a factor. You know, sometimes we take for granted what we know and what we could potentially know because technically we don't know what we don't know. Um, and that's usually when we hear our, a friend of ours or someone say something or we overhear something, we're like, it can do that? I want to do that. What do you mean it can do that? I didn't know it could do that. Did you know it could do that? So, let's... yeah. So, 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 yeah, to sort of summarize a little bit, it's for, it's, yeah, the yard management system is an integral part of the whole business. Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's a yard management system, yeah. right? You know, if it was just a regular point of sale system, mm. then the rest of the business would function without it frankly. Um, and if anyone that has a yard management system, if it goes down as much as you can muddle through with other tools, it's not going so hot. You know, you're, you're trying to get that puppy back up and running super fast. Now, there was an episode a, a couple of years ago where um, one of the systems did get, did get uh, hijacked. Uh, what advice would you that give That was to... within the past year. Right. Okay. What advice, <laughs> what advice would you give to vehicle recyclers on how to protect themselves against cyber attacks and, and fraud and things of that nature? Uh, so one, make sure that you have firewalls inside your internal network. Just because you have a router doesn't necessarily mean you have a good firewall system. Um, you can definitely have a firewall uh, to go along with your internal network. Um, it can be a separate box, it can be part of your router. You definitely want a business level uh, device that can help minimize traffic. Most um, remote access from the manufacturers of the YMSs have a direct IP schema that would go directly to your server and all other web traffic can be blocked. Um, I would also look at making sure that your backups are on a rotation. So if you can do an offsite backup with your YMS manufacturer, uh, pay for it. It, it. it pays for itself when you go down. The amount of money you lose when you're down for a day or two without having that data available sucks. So pay for remote backups. Make sure your YMS is backing up your data. Have a local backup as well. Um, and that local backup should be something that is rotated regularly. So let's say you, you know, way back in the day, we used to have like tape decks that would be, you know, attached to our computers. Uh, if it turns out that you can do USB drives, then have a series of USB drives that you rotate. Um, it doesn't matter if it's every night, uh, if there's one for every day of the week and you label them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, you basically want to potentially have your backups and rotate them. Most systems backups run in the evening. So then the next morning, you'd want to put that backup on your keychain. You might want to have it in a fireproof safe. Uh, ultimately, even if it's in a fireproof safe, you know, kiss of death on the salvage yard, we don't like fires. Um, but taking it with you is the way to go. So if the backup ran the next, the night, at night, then the next morning you take whatever drive it is and you put it on your keychain, and then you put the new one in for the next night. Um, a lot of people take for granted um, that their tech runs every day, that their tech is good every day. So they'll put the backup in on the front of it and leave it there for a week, for a month. And the problem is, is that if that ransomware happens, if that attack happens, and that's your backup from the past five days and it's a Friday, you have no recourse, but whatever backup you had prior, because that disk, that USB is now corrupted. It is useless to you because then it's just ransomware on top of ransomware or uh, you know viruses or anything else. Uh, if the YMS is capturing your data at night, then typically the way that they filter that data into um, their systems, you typically you typically benefit from that, you know, unless it was something super catastrophic where it wasn't just a server attack, but uh, that company was attacked, you would in theory still benefit from their protections for your data. Um, because in theory, the YMS has redundancy from their servers to rollover servers and they're hopefully um, 
scanning for malware and, and issues. Um, I would also make sure that all local workstations have up-to-date uh, virus protection, net protection, um, you know, whether it's like some form of net barrier or virusware where you're trying to screen those things, great. Um, if you can limit uh, your internet to selected sites, because you're at work, will then limit it to selected sites. Minimize the potential for people surfing the internet on random crap and clicking on something that they shouldn't have been clicking on and get something al haphazardly because people do things on accident. You know, there's so many adware pieces that those ads, despite being good revenue streams for people, they have malicious things buried in them. And all it takes is and then that workstation can infect everything else. So, you know, it is always good to have redundancy in your backup. It is always good to have everything up to date. We like to take for granted that, oh, no big deal. The workstation was only 200 some dollars, blah, 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 blah. I don't need to pay for Norton or malware or WebRoot. And then next you know, that's the workstation that gets hit. That's the workstation that takes down your whole entire business. And then you're down for a couple of days, if not a week or two, because you're screwed. Um, not not a good not a good place to be. So take the investment. Yeah. You know, protection and, is an investment. And is this becoming more critical as more and more people are using mobile devices, tablets, phones, and things like that within the system as well? Yes. Um, so if you have people on your Wi-Fi network, um, especially if it's mobile devices that are linked to your Wi-Fi network, um, having uh, some kind of net protection um, in terms of what IPs, what web addresses can be accessible versus not accessible is in your best interest. If you have Wi-Fi in your lobby for your customers, have a guest network. Um, and if you need to, have it as a separate router altogether and then have it be on its own network schema where they can't access nor talk to the rest of your machine. Um, and so there are a lot of ways to do that. Some people will say it's overkill, but all it takes is one malicious person to do something silly. Mm. You know, it's, it's the same thing where people nowadays, if you go to buy a wallet, they have the RFID protection in them because a lot of people would take a phone that was enabled where they would swap it past your back pocket. If you're a man, swap it by your purse, stand next to you within 60 seconds and pick up your credit card numbers because the phones were configured to pick up anything that they can take for that that distribution signal so you know RFIDs you know it's great to be able to touch your credit cards on those on those pieces but walking in a major city or someone wants to be malicious they're taking it from you mm -hmm. wow amazing and um <laughs> Also, yeah, members of staff, you, you mentioned obviously your, your guest, guest Wi-Fi, but, but what about members of staff who are using mobile devices or, um, or whatever around the yard? They might be using a tablet around the yard um, or a mobile device around the yard straight onto your Wi-Fi. What would you do on that, in that situation? Well, number one, if it's my devices, if it's my yard and it was my devices, then I would want the devices locked down uh, potentially to the point where it just has the programs that I need them to work on. So, you know, uh, a lot of the YMSs have like photo apps or inventory apps, and that's really what they're there for. My guys aren't supposed to be out in the yard surfing the internet and doing other things if I had a yard. Um, you know, if there is a website that they need for decoding things and stuff, then that goes back into the having that web access. If people are on your network and your IT company can corral the uh, websites that are whitelisted versus blacklisted, then you think about what you need. That you know, at the end of the day, if your employee wants to surf the internet and watch YouTube for the day, then they can run on their cellular, not your network and go do what they need to do. Yeah, it's convenient, but okay, it's their phone. It's their break, it's their lunch. But if they're doing work for you, then the only thing they need access is what they need access to do their job, which is the programs, the programs that you need traffic, the internet web pages that you need, whether it be auction, car park, auto part search, so on and so forth. Um, if it's not outside of those things, restrict it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, is it really like, think about it. We all want to talk about giving people access to doing things. And on some level, there's a, ha- there's a fine line between big brother watching and getting the job done. And at this point in time, most people have cellular service on their phones. It may suck inside of a tin box, <laughs> um, but it doesn't change the fact that if they really need to watch a YouTube video or, you know, go check their personal stuff, well, then go outside on your break and hang out in your car and use your cell signal. They don't have to be using your network to do that. Um, I'm not saying that your network can't be secured enough where they don't have the privilege of using it, uh, but you have to find a fine balance between protection, which is your business, your baby, and getting people to do whatever they want, including yourself, because there's no exceptions. If you're locking things down, you're locking it down across the board. We'll come back to our conversation with Jen in a moment. Salvage Wire have been supporting the vehicle recycling and dismantling industry for years with their specially designed accredited training courses on the safe handling of electric and hybrid vehicles. These courses are now even more relevant to the industry as volumes of these vehicles increase. So learn how to keep your team and your business safe by registering for one of our courses, many of which are now available online so you do not have to leave your office, your study or your workshop to complete the training. Contact Salvage Wire through our website www.salvagewire.com Back to our conversation with Jen. And looking forward, I don't know how good your crystal uh, crystal ball is, but uh, looking forward, how do you see the, the yard management system and the systems that people use? How do you see that developing over the next sort of two, five, ten years time? What's, what's the next big, big thing in yard management systems? Well, they, that is a loaded question, Andy. Um, I think, well, it is because, you know, conceptually, whatever you think of can potentially happen, right? You know, if you can invent it, typically we can make it. I mean, like that's, that's part of the, the ingenuity of the human race, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we create wonderful things and then it happens. Um, I think that the future of the YMS is, is that, we have more interconnectivity between the different systems um, where the salespeople uh, aren't trying to schmooze between each other as much as they're trying to schmooze people that are outside of our bubble, right? I think that there needs to be more integration between all the yard management systems. I think that they need to be able to sell and trade parts to then have the sales teams actually work work the deals with the end user, work it with the body shops, the wreckers, the repairers, because that's where our money is, right? You know, like not internationally, but in the US, the largest component or largest growing component has had been the retail person because of all the consolidation in our body shops and garages. Internationally, retail isn't as prevalent because some people don't have the right to repair. You know, there's laws to prevent that. So I think that wide yard management system wise, there's going to be, I would like to see more interconnectivity between the systems, where if one person prefers one flavor over the next, if you're a vanilla versus chocolate versus strawberry kind of person, there's no reason not to have competition, but they need to be able to talk to each other and give everyone an opportunity to devote more time to genuine sales and not the things that are the low lying fruit, which is to each other, because we already know so much about each other. Like, why, why do we make it difficult? Like, that's just silly. Um, and I, I do, I think that that's dumb. Uh, I think at this point in time, how do we still make it so difficult to buy and sell to each other? Like, it is a little ridiculous. Um, and that's something that could easily be remedied. Um, I also think that all yard management systems should be cloud-based, where yards don't have to put foot the bill for the hardware. I think that a lot of those protections could then be done by the YMS creators. And then that way, the money that a yard spends doesn't have to be solely on hardware. You know, you can get away with a modest machine to do the jobs at hand, and they don't have to be so resource intensive or processor intensive. Um, I also would like to see more integration of auction house information. You know, we see tools like Buddy where they can do the VIN limiting for auctions, which is awesome, but that doesn't happen worldwide. You know, on Australia, New Zealand, you 
as much as you can use bid buddy to bid on cars, you don't get that VIN filtering to the auctions. It's still a very time consuming process for those guys. Um, and here in North America, it is time consuming still, but at least we can say, these are the VINs we need, this is what we have. Um, it would be nice that the YMS is trimmed the options to match the VINs um, where we could do that. It, you know, I, I make the joke, um, well, jokish, um, when I train a lot of salespeople on how we can't just take the car that was sold off the lot and download based on VIN all the features and components into the YMS. On some level, because of all the electronic components, all the newer components that are in these vehicles, if we could have a universal part type listing that originated at the dealership, let's just say, originated at the dealership, tied mm. to that VIN, made it to auction, and I could get a list of what that is where my inventory person just goes go check, 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 and already have it predetermined what should have been on that car. And then they have an option to switch to, that's not the option that's on there. They made some kind of modification. What are my potential other choices? That would trim time in terms of inventory, it would trim times of getting things corrected. So that way when we inventory, we inventory more accurately. We could have potentially the paint codes, the trim codes, all that preloaded from the VIN. And that would basically be a partnership from the dealerships mm. to the insurance companies to us in terms of VINs and the information that can be taken down for that. I would love to see something like that because I could see how well that could streamline full circle with there. Yeah. You know, we like to make the jokes here in the States on how the insurance companies from the time that the cars are sold by the dealers, the insurance is there because of the accidents, because of the wrecks, and then they have the auction houses. And then from a salvage perspective, we pay for the salvage from the insurance companies. And then a lot of us get, or a lot of yards get business from the insurers because now they're doing the adjustment bids to fix the same cars that they had. So there, in my mind, there is interest by all parties to get that circle to be a bit more seamless and complete. Because if I'm an insurance company and I'm selling the cars from the auction from the dealer that I knew these were all the codes and conditions that came in to the auction house and they evaluated my auction, which they obviously do because that's how they get us to pay the kind of money they do. And then we get it, break down, sell off the bits, but we have to reevaluate the car on what's there, which you're always gonna have to reevaluate due to what kind of damage had happened to the vehicle. But if I could have a more concrete list that I can modify, I'm saving time from an inventory standpoint. I'm saving time from a sales perspective. I'm saving time on term and returns perspective. And then, of course, if it's a claimant issue down the road, I know that that fits that. And so we get this cool little full circle piece that kind of just requires all the players in the business to kind of be friendly versus adversarial. That's amazing. A wonderful answer. <laughs> well, you asked what I would like to see. I mean, I can't predict that that's what's going to happen, but I would love to see that, especially with all these electronic components. You know, you guys there at Salvage Wire, you know, I, as you and I have talked in the past, when it comes to electronic components, especially batteries, you guys are the ones to call right? How do you protect the users? How do you protect your yard? How do you protect those facilities? How do you train them without chomping off their hands? Um, and at the end of the day, that's where a resource such as you and your group is valuable. But think of how much has changed in the time that these electronic vehicles have peripherated our roadways and what is available to them. So if we can make some of these processes more streamlined, add those part types as needed across the board of all YMSs, that's a win because we're trying to get more money out of lean margins as it is. Yeah. If yeah. we wanna be here the next 10 years, then we need to be able to say, I need those part types, I need access to that data, and I need it to be correct so I can sell to the customer quickly, I can get it inventoried quickly, and I can turn it around quickly. Amazing. And, and that follows actually from some other people that I've spoken to on the podcast as well, and they've said exactly the same sort of thing. So, you know, it's, you know, people are, people are saying the same thing, that people are looking and desiring for the same thing. Now, Going back to yourself, you've held a number of different positions across your working life. And obviously, yeah. you've not sat back and you've not rested on your successes. 
What drives you to continuously move forward, grow your knowledge, your skills, and your influence? I think that's a, that's a tricky question. So number one, I like to learn. Okay. I, I like to learn. I like to understand things. You know, I had a, I had an employee that worked with me um, for a while and I remember I was having her do some stuff with uh, the pinnacle yard management system and how the different things kind of worked with each other and, and build off. And the one day she looks at me, she goes, Oh my God, it's your brain. She goes, it's your brain. She's like, it's all nebulous and interconnected and it's all like crazy. It's not like A, B, C, D. She's like, it's like everywhere. Um, and so she was, she was, and she didn't mean it in a bad way. It's just, she's like, you think about all these little interconnected pieces. And it's not like you're thinking from A to B to C. You're thinking from A and then to D and then to G and then back to B and making sure that you're trying to get all components and not just computer components but the people component and so no matter where I've worked I like to take in because I want to understand I am one of those people where I feel that the more you understand about a organization or a process or a system or anything really then the more you can take action and make better decisions so for someone like myself that likes to do process improvements and improve what my users get to do with their YMSs then I want to understand, right? Like there are some things that are universal truths in every YMS because you can't, you can't change that. But then there's plenty of factors like preferences and features that may or may not work for one yard, but do for another because of things that have happened to them in the past. You know, one yard might not enforce credit limits. Another one does. One may not track tax expiration expiring versus one does. You know, uh, there's there's all these little finite um, possibilities. Excuse me. So no matter what I've worked on, whether it be in accounting, payroll, uh, the newspaper, you know, retail, uh, obviously computers, uh, and what I do today, it doesn't change the fact that. I want to learn. I want to know. And the people that I learned from the most are the yards that I interact with. Everyone ends up coming up with their processes and procedures that work for them. And sometimes there's some amazing ideas from one yard that can help others. Um, and it's nice to be able to share that information, to see that in action, and to be able to offer that as a possibility for someone else. It doesn't mean that every suggestion works. Um, I am a firm proponent that if I'm changing a process, I'm changing a process, but I want people to buy in at the beginning before we change the whole world up. Sometimes everyone needs to buy in on that or offer, well, what about this? What about that? And that's okay because what works for one doesn't work for all. And then sometimes there's the times where the streamlining of things is great. It's awesome because then you have this universal process that everyone should be able to work on and go from A to B to C to D. The thing is, is that there's a, usually one weird wrench in the works that comes in sideways, like, hey, what about this? Uh-oh. So I usually make the joke, I'm like, do we have any bullet holes in our process? Anyone? Bullet holes? Process? Because if we got water running through this process, it's useless. Um, and so work-wise, I've always been very fortunate to been given an opportunity to grow my skills, to grow my exposure to a company, to my peers, to learn. Um, if anything, the one thing I've told pretty much everyone I have ever worked for, uh, I need to be able to give my opinion. You don't have to listen to it, follow it, but if I can give it and then get feedback because of that, then that helps me grow as well because you know, how do you change your perspective? How do you change your mind about something? If you are set on a thought, you need to get that feedback to be able to change that, to, to gain different perspective. It's part of why people talk about having mentors or coaching others mm. is that we get into, well, what about this? I'm going to do but if no one is there to give us a difference of opinion or to give us the good, bad, or indifferent on it, well, then if it can go either way, well, then which way do I go? You know, if I'm not going to get hurt by going either way, okay. But if I could get hurt this way, I need to know enough. I need to learn enough to be to make better decisions. 
So I've always kind of stretched from my role into other things because I also get bored. <laughs> Not always. I don't get bored as much now as I'm older. I think it's that as you get older, you kind of get set, you calm down a little bit. Not that anyone would ever say that I'm calm, but uh, you know, I think you kind of calm down and you kind of get your feet grounded and not just so many flights of fancy when you're younger. So is there any advice that you could give to young and aspiring leaders who uh, want to grow and develop their skills in the, in the industry? Or in other words, what advice would the current gen give to the 22-year-old gen? I would say, do what you do, but listen more. Zip it. Sometimes, and I do it to this day, and I still do it. I'm not going to say that I don't. Um, my brain runs faster than I can talk in most cases, and I already get to the conclusion because of that nebulous thinking that I do. Um, and so I've already kind of worked through the pieces, twiddle down, whittle down, whittle down, boom, here you go. Like doing a thousand-piece puzzle in a couple of hours is like, that's a me thing, um, you know, versus like some people where it's a thousand piece puzzle and that's like a week project. I'm going to do it in a day. If it takes me a day and a half, I'm frustrated because it took me a day and a half. And I'm like, what the hell? Why didn't the hell does it take me a day and a half? Um, and so that's just an easy way to kind of compare that. So I would tell my younger self to try and not jump to the answer that you already know is the answer. I, I, you know, even as where I am today, I have a hard time doing that at times because I know that that's where we're going to end up. I've already gotten there, but I need everybody else to get there. So it's being a little patient for everyone to catch up to where you are. And then if people aren't catching up to where you are, think about how you can explain to them to be where you are. To, to think about where you've gotten. You know, it, it's kind of like if you're doing geometry and you're doing a proof way back when in the day, for those that actually remember geometry and doing proofs, you had to justify why this math problem did whatever it is and you used this logic and it was this preset logic. Well, I can tell you, me being me, I could go from here to the answer, but me justifying from here to the answer was always the problem because it was always like, well, that's right, you pick the right answer, you finish the proof, but where's the proof? In my head? <laughs> uh, and so I would say to my younger self that the steps of that proof, the steps of that process need to be explained before just getting to the end. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. And I know you read a lot, so can you recommend a, a, a management, a leadership, a business book that you've read in the last 12 months that you think the listeners would, would enjoy? So I will tell you that as much as I usually read uh, plenty of business books and plenty of other books, I've actually read more parenting books in the past year, but I am going to tell you that one that is an older book that I think is uh, I think it can apply to family dynamic, and I think it can apply to fam to work dynamic. Um, is called uh, "Don't Shoot the Dog," I believe. I think it's called "Don't Shoot the Dog." It's it, it's an older book. It's usually got a blue cover, um, and uh, that book talks about training. It talked about this woman who was an animal trainer, and she was training from different perspectives. Um, and it was interesting taking aspects of training animals and routine and changing that to be setting foundational principles. And you could use that for people, namely children. Um, but you can also use that in an organization where you're trying to implement change across the board. Because sometimes as a manager and owner, you want change and you're so thirsting for change and you want change and you can see it and you know it, but you know what you don't always know how to do is the stepping stones to get from your vision from where you are. And so that plan to get from where you are today to that vision in the future requires this breakdown. And I think that that's something that that book um, when it comes to interacting with people and trying to get them to slowly change that way, I think that that can help. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Um, it's, uh, it's called Don't Shoot the Dog by Karen Pryor. 
and uh, obviously available from where you normally buy books. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, <laughs> yeah. the web, these booksellers it. worldwide. Worldwide, yeah, that's it. That's it. Now, final question, and this is one we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. What was your first car? And do you have any special memories of that car? So, incidentally, my first car never got driven. Um, my first my first car that I owned was given to me by one of my best friends. Her parents got her a new little Honda Accent, and she had this old um, Plymouth Horizon, you know, like if you, you knew the Omni or the Horizon, and she had it sitting there. And so her parents were like, well, we'll give it to Jen. Jen doesn't have a car, uh, because I always borrowed my folks' car. So they were like, well, just give it to Jen. And so I got this Plymouth Horizon towed from my best friend's house to my house where it then subsequently sat in my parents garage for four years until they donated it so my first car uh, was immaculate condition uh, interior wise it was super pristine the outside was pristine but the brakes and the calipers were completely rusted out and <laughs> it never went anywhere it became basically a kidney car um, and then my car after that car was a Lincoln Town car given to me by my grandparents which was fondly nicknamed the boat by all of my friends um, because despite it um, being a Lincoln Town car, it had the leather interior, it was big. And my one friend used to always be like, Booga, coming about. Because if you turned, everyone just kind of slid <laughs> one way or another in this thing. Um, and it kind of did that glide because it had the air shocks and stuff because it was all like, Belled and whistled out because it was my grandparents' car, um, and yeah. So my my second official car was that, followed by uh, I traded that in for a Ford Escape, um, which was one of my favorite cars. So little two door Ford Escape um, with the honeycomb badges and stuff. That was one of my favorites. Wonderful. So yeah, amazing. Really, really uh, amazing. And I, and I love you know the thought of that Plymouth Horizon being set in the, set, set in the garage for, for four years. Oh my God. My, my father would be like, are you, are you going to do anything with this? And I'm like, I spend my money on college. Like, do you want me to fix the car? Or do you want me to go to college? And then it would be like, okay, fine. So I had a friend of mine come and change the oil on it one time and do some <laughs> minor maintenance, but because I had no brakes and I had no comfort, like everything was rusted out. The, uh, the local mechanic shop said it would be two grand. And I was like, yeah, I'm not paying two grand yeah. right now. That's, that's going to school. Gone. Yeah. So yeah. amazing. Amazing. Jen, that has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Um, and one of the benefits of doing these podcasts for me is I get 30 minutes of, of free consultation and the number of notes <laughs> that I've written. Uh, amazing. There's some really, really good stuff in there, particularly around yard management systems. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, and talking to us today. You are welcome, Andy. Thank you for having me. Um, and hopefully your listeners and staff will, will get some benefits and some little tidbits out of, out of the conversation. Thank you. A big thank you to Jen for her time and knowledge. You will find details on how to contact Gen C Consulting in the notes for this episode. Please subscribe and take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Thank you and have a great day.